We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundford skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. Well, welcome back, Pacer Nation. The Pacers keep on winning. Despite our love for them to lose to get a better lottery pick, Indiana outscores the Philadelphia 76ers in the second half, 52 to 32, just a putrid effort from the Philadelphia offense without Joel Embiid, but the Indiana Pacers take care of business and have officially clinched a spot in the play-in game. So I'm joined today by Jake Elrod to discuss this win and just what the Pacers look like in general. So Jake, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, not a problem, man. Happy to be on. Pacers in the postseason, like you said, a little bit bittersweet because a lot of people are embracing that tank status, but they're winning ugly like Kevin Pritchard said he wanted them to do. So I'm sure at least he's happy about what he saw tonight. Absolutely. I mean, Indiana will trail by 11 points heading into the halftime, 62 to 51. You thought, man, they're going to give up another 120 points to this, uh, another team. You know, even though this is the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, you thought, well, I mean, without Embiid, you know, they've, they've been good this year, but, I mean, there's still an opportunity here. Trailing just 11, how much will we will we fight? And Philadelphia, if they were to win this game, they would have clinched the number one seed, trying to hold off a late run from Brooklyn or um, may, maybe uh, Milwaukee. I'm not sure if they're eliminated or not from the number one seed. But regardless, just a, just a horrible effort offensively from Philadelphia in that second half. I mean, as much as I want to give the Pacers a lot of credit for what they did, I do want to say it did look like to me, especially in that third quarter, 
that Philadelphia just scoring 13 points really took their foot off the gas and did not seem to care too much about this game. Yeah, the Patriots kind of switched up defensive schemes there at halftime. I kind of figured they would go away from that zone because they were just getting eviscerated like they have been Why all year. Why did we go back to it? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Maybe I, I honestly don't know, especially with, with Sabonis in there. The length is not there on the inside. And I, we don't have the athletes to run the zone that Bjorkman wants to run. So I really don't know. They've looked much better in man the last handful of games. I mean, Atlanta was a solid defensive effort. They ran more of it there. They had their best defensive effort against Washington, even though they lost that game, uh, you know, and then the last game out, uh, they, they were able to win and, and hold an opponent under 110, which is a huge positive considering they didn't have Turner. And then they come out and run that zone. And I'm just sitting here like, what are you doing? Yeah. And finally in the second half, they came out and ran that man-to-man a lot more and were really able to smother uh, Philadelphia, play that aggressive style of basketball without, you know, really just confusing themselves and giving up a ton of wide open shots at the rim. So it was a nice adjustment at half, but if they would have came out in the first half and ran that, it probably wouldn't have been that close of a score. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, it was pretty close going back and forth there. I thought for a second, you know, Ben Simmons had some really nice dunks, and I said, oh, Lord, this is going to get ugly quick. (laughs) And Justin Holliday, I just felt bad for him. They tried him on a couple different guys like Tobias Harris and and Ben Simmons, and he just too small. I mean, they just out-muscled him, out-strengthened him, and that's not a bad thing. It's just the Pacers have asked Justin Holliday to wear a lot of hats this season and be a player, really, that he's not. And so – taking on those bigger roles, like it's just not who he is. If you have Brogdon and you have T.J. Warren healthy, like clearly they're much thicker physical basketball players than Justin Holiday. But, you know, Justin Holiday is a good defender, but I enjoy watching him play defense on guys like Danny Green, the Seth Currys of the league, guys that aren't going to try to muscle through you. But, you know, regardless, I got to say, Karis LeVert, it was not looking pretty for him in that first half there, Jake. One of 10 to start out, finishes the game going seven of 10, hitting a dagger, a beautiful step back three, crossed Mike Scott. Mike Scott had no chance to contest the shot. And Karish just kind of went off there. He was screaming. The, the bench was getting hyped. And even if your team lose right now, I think that that moment right there should have made you happy because Karis LaVert is really starting to come into his own. Yeah, he's killer Karis, man. He's finishing guys. In the fourth quarter, he's, you know, and it was great to see earlier in the game when he wasn't getting it going. Guys like McDermott, Sabonis, Justin Holiday was sprinkling in some shots there. They were able to to keep the the ship afloat while Karras kind of worked through his struggles. And then in fourth quarter, he's just been, he's just been excellent, you know, over the last handful of games, especially, you know, without having Malcolm there. He's able to kind of play a little more free, a little more open with the ball of his hand, in his hands, play off Sabonis more. And that's really allowed him in those fourth quarters to hit some really, really big shots for this team. Yeah, no doubt about it. Karis LeVert finished with 24 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, and was a plus 17 on the floor, the best plus minus for the Pacers. But right behind him was the efficient, as always, DeMontis Sabonis, getting another triple-double, 16 points, 15 assists, 13 rebounds, and he did that on seven of nine shooting for a guy that's labeled as a ball hog, only taking nine shots and hitting seven of them. Being that productive, I think that that says a lot about a guy um, you know, and how important he is to this team. Only got two fouls as a plus 16. Sure, there was no Joel Embiid, but he was having a guard, you know, later in the game. Guys like Tobias Harrison having to switch on to these other players because the Pacers just weren't big enough. They actually ran the double big lineup out there for the closing minutes of the game. 
running a lineup out there with Goga and Domas, along with Justin Holiday, Karis Levert, and TJ McConnell. So just want to give Domas a big shout-out here because this was a monster game from him. Yeah, and even just outside the numbers, the thing that kind of stood out for me in this game, and a lot of people kind of question how he's going to look in the playoffs. Well, you saw kind of how aggressive the Philadelphia 76ers were attacking the Pacers in the first half, and then he comes out in the third quarter and really allows them with some of his screens and passes, and they're going under, and he creates a lot from kind of that elbow and high post area and really kind of changed the way Philadelphia had to play. They weren't able to attack as much, and he had a high number of assists with only a couple turnovers. So just the facilitating, and I think that when you get into the postseason against teams like Miami last year, you saw the issue the Pacers had with traps and kind of aggressive defenses. He's really a defense breaker with his ability to to facilitate outside of there. If you get somebody out of position, he's going to find the open guy. His screens are really good. They're really smart, so he gets his guys open shots. So even outside of the gaudy numbers, it was just, it's just nice to see in that kind of physical intense environment, how efficient he was distributing without turning the ball over. I thought that was kind of a big step from where we've seen him in the past against these really physical, aggressive defenses. No, you're right about that. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, where Domas continues to just be efficient without scoring the basketball. And, you know, I was, I was happy they did not force the ball to him down low a lot having Mike Scott on him, because Mike Scott's a pretty good defender. I mean, he holds his position well for his height and his size. I don't think he's, you know, good enough to hold the bonus off, but I, I, I think the Pacers did a really good job of not force-feeding him the ball down there. I know there was a couple of times he had him sealed, and they didn't even look to pass to him. So, really, it was an efficient night all around for this team. And, unfortunately, there were some guys that really struggled. I thought Goga struggled a little bit tonight. O'Shea Brissett really struggled from the field. But he's still such an impact on the glass. And I think the same thing is said for Goga. They might not be the most, you know, effective offensive players, but their ability to, especially Goga's, protect the rim. And I think both O'Shea and Goga have done a great job rebounding the basketball, being physical inside. It's, it's, it's something that I've enjoyed about him. And one thing I've noticed, too, a little bit more is the chemistry between Domas and O'Shea. Just because you notice there's been times where you see O'Shea cutting a lot looking to try to get that pass from Domas. And there's been a couple of times when he's got it and he's not had a good look and he kicked it out. I think he had a nice kick out to McDermott in the corner for a three early in the first half. So like little things like that, you know, Domas can count on O'Shea to cut. O'Shea's really trying to read Domas and what he's wanting to do. And, you know, he's not trying to force it. He was only, he was 0 of 6. He shot four threes. So to me, I didn't feel like he was forcing too much out there. But at the same time, I've been really impressed with his defensive ability, especially on the glass. Yeah, he's been really valuable next to Sabonis defensively. I mean, you talk about that chemistry offensively, but defensively too. I mean, we know Sabonis is going to have his issues you know, defending the rim. And, and O'Shea's done a great job kind of feeling when to slide over and help and kind of cut off those drives to the basket so they're not, you know, just guys blow, blowing by Domas or forcing him to foul. And I've been really impressed with his intelligence. Like you said, his feel for the floor is really coming along. And he doesn't need to hit baskets to be able to impact the team right now. And that's that's a really big thing for him to keep his confidence up while he tries to work through a little bit, bit of a scoring drop. But especially on the defensive end of the floor, I think he's really been a really nice compliment to Sabonis and they're playing really well together, I think. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. So just to kind of get you guys a quick recap, the Indiana Pacers have the same record now as the Charlotte Hornets, but because Charlotte beat us, I believe, two out of three games, they own the tiebreaker on us, so they are still in the eighth seed. We are the ninth seed, a full game ahead of Washington, 
and there is only a couple games left for the Indiana Pacers. They've got the Milwaukee Bucks on Thursday. They've got the Lakers on um, Saturday, I believe, and then Sunday mm-hmm. they play the Toronto Raptors, and then the Raptors have already been eliminated from the playoffs, but the Lakers and the Bucks are still really trying to compete, you know, for positioning-wise in the playoffs. So I think that our hands are still kind of full, and we're going to have a tough time with these two teams, but I think – you know, playing out at home, having a little home stretch. The pressure is on the Pacers to win. So I think that they're playing for one another despite everything that's happened off the court. And and to me, Jake, I just feel like you're starting to finally see Karras get back to who his former self was after having this surgery that he had to remove that cancer. And, And him and Domas, their chemistry continues to blossom each and every game. And I am absolutely loving their offensive flow together. Yeah, and you see Karras. I mean, the biggest thing that I've noticed with him offensively recently is his legs are really strong underneath him. He's doing a much better job finishing around the basket. You can tell he's got that bounce back. He's got that confidence back. I think that's been the difference in kind of the scoring spike. And, you know, I still he's, – he's getting close to where he was in Brooklyn, but I still think he can get some of that scoring percentage up. And, and be even more effective. But right now, I mean, he's he's just really carrying this team, especially late in the end of the game. And a lot of that, you know, next level play from him has come off of playing with Sabonis. You saw it with Victor and, and Domas, and they loved playing off each other. And I think you're seeing a similar type of dynamic with him and Karras. It just allows Domas to play more freely. You see him kind of more enjoying himself on the court a bit, playing with a guy that he can uh, play off the pick and roll so well with and, and click with. And you can tell, like you said, they're just – they're just really starting to find each other's rhythm and starting to play so well off of each other. And, you know, it's allowed this team to turn around. I mean, they won three out of four and came a, a bad call away from being four in a row. So, I mean, they're, they're under man, but they're really fighting right now. And a big reason why that they've had this success lately is those two guys are just playing at, at an extremely, extremely high level. Yeah. And do you find that a coincidence that they've been playing really well since the whole entire blow up between Batadze and Greg Foster that led to a one o'clock meeting with the team. The press conference started super late after that loss to the Kings. Clearly something had to have been said, whether it was a front office, whether it was coaching staff, whether it was the players only meeting that we haven't heard about, something had to have happened in that moment. I mean, was there anything to you that's stood out or do you think that I'm just maybe just guessing because that's someone that started playing well? Well, I mean, I've seen, you know, they show some of the cuts to the players going into timeouts. And I've seen, you know, Sabonis and and Karis kind of hugging each other and talking, smiling, laughing. And I I think there is something there. I don't know what it is, if maybe it's just the fact they're able to kind of get this out in the open. You know, this was something that was obviously simmering under the surface for a while. You could see it, especially on Domas's face. And obviously it's kind of been throughout the locker room he's just been the guy that you could kind of see it affecting um you know body language wise the most and ever since that meeting you know he's been in a great mood Karis has been smiling the team's been amping each other up and I don't know if it was just being able to get this out in the open to be able to kind of release this kind of negativity and stress but I definitely think that something in that meeting whether it was something Bjorkren said or you know just something that a team member said in the locker room allowed them to kind of get that out there and be able to move on from whatever's happened so far this season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Something has changed a little bit within that organization. Well, not organization, but that locker room. The guys seem happier. The coaching staff, I mean, we saw Goga was working with Foster whenever they came, when he came back from that suspension against the Wizards pregame and seemed like their relationship was okay. I don't think Goga's really been as well, I guess you could say, played as well since that whole, you know, mix up there. 
I don't know if that just messed with him emotionally, like just getting so involved and getting his coach suspended because there was reports that said, hey, Gogo was not happy that his coach got suspended, not mean to put him in that position. So the dust up between those two, like the, the words, the exchange, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> it's just like it was so funny for us to see on TV, but it's like it's just – yeah, it was a little bit out of line for both of them, but it was just like, whatever. Didn't feel like it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It warranted all the national media attention that it got, but... At that point, the paces were imploding. Losing the game like that to the Kings really sucks, especially when you're trying to, you know, jockey for position here in the playing game. And, and quite frankly, if anybody's mad that we won this game, quite go back and look at the game we lost to Philadelphia earlier in the year when fully healthy. We easily should have won that game. So I think you can call this a fair trade-off. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily there – happier with the Yorkham, but I think being able to communicate this with each other, I mean, it's been reported that that locker room's been quiet all season and, you know, the guys aren't, a lot of our local reporters aren't allowed in that locker room, but you've heard the same things I have, the guys. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Really aren't talking, communicating. And I wonder if that just brought the players as a unit together more so than, you know, being happy with Bjork and just those guys kind of like, okay, we're all kind of in the same boat here. Let's rally together and try to finish out this season strong for each other. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's a winning locker room. I mean, a lot of these guys have been here. I mean, we dog McMillan for, you know, the first round sweeps, but this is a locker room that's won the, the entire time he's been here almost. So you know, they don't like losing. They don't want to lose. And I, I know they have a strong relationship. This is a veteran locker room. They, they've all they've all seemed to like each other during their time here. So I, I think that it could just be a simple case of guys being able to rally around each other getting some more communication out on the table and kind of being like okay let's just finish the season out strong for each other so we're not kind of damaging the image of the guys in this locker room yeah no I I agree with that I think a lot of it is just players playing for one another they've all got you know contracts coming up quite a few of them do um, there's obviously you know nobody knows what's going to happen next and there there's a very slim very slim 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 possibility they do keep Bjorkman for one more season, try to 
see if he can change as a person and maybe get some better assistant coaches around him. But I found it interesting today. Scott Agnes put an article out. It might have been earlier this morning or yesterday, basically saying letting assistant Dan Berg go was the Pacers' worst offseason move and had a very good article in here. And one quote that stuck out to me was, a challenge in building the staff was coaches did not want to work for Bjorken League sources told the Fieldhouse Files. At the minimum, the staff must be upgraded the next season. So when they hired Bjorkren and they tried to assemble an assistant coaching staff, they had issues because people don't want to coach with Bjorkren. Now we hear all these rumors happening, Jake. I find it very hard to believe that the Pacers can retain Bjorkren even if they get the eight seed, even if they're competitive against Philadelphia because of their inability to bolster this assistant coaching staff, because I don't think personally to me after hearing this and the rumors that have come out from multiple different articles uh, that assistant coaches aren't going to want to come work with this guy. if This is how he treats them. Yeah. And just like all these stories that come out, I mean, it's just day after day. It seems like there's a new story. What I find really odd about this whole situation is they took a long time to vet this process. I mean, it wasn't like after the season they hired him three days later and it was kind of a decision where they think, oh, maybe we should have taken a little more to investigate him. I mean, they took weeks. I mean, they did rounds of interviews with these guys. And it's just it's just kind of surprising to me that they missed all this or that they kind of looked the other way on this because they interviewed a ton of guys and they interviewed Bjorkren multiple times. So if Dan Burke comes out and says he's been a coach here for, what, 15 years or so, I mean, at least 10 years. He's been here a long time. If he comes out and says, well, I don't want to coach for this guy. I mean, does that not make you second guess if you're making the right decision? I just, I don't know. It's a little perplexing to me how this whole thing has played out and the amount of drama that's ensued in one year as a head coach when, when the team took so long to pick him and choose him that it just, I, I just don't think it's a really good look for, for Kevin Pritchard. And I, I just think that, like you said, there's too many levels of this. You guys have mentioned this before on your pod that there's just too many levels that have come out and kind of, you know, courts against, against Bjorkren and, and said, Hey, listen, this guy's not doing a good job. He has a bad attitude. He snaps too much. And it just, if it was a player or two, It'd be one thing you could kind of weed out, you know, the bad eggs. But it just seems like from the coaching level, from the front office level to the players level, it just looks like this was a real group effort here to leak the to leak this yeah. information about Bjorkren. So I just feel like the writing's on the wall. I feel like that this was done so close to the end of the season for a reason. And it, and in Jay Michael's article, they said he said that you know Bjorkren has to do a lot to mend relationships. Well, what's he going to do in seven games? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what is he going to mend in seven games? It just kind of feels like a hit piece a little bit or kind of like backing him into a corner he can't get out of. And it just seems like it seems like buyer's remorse a little bit. And they, they might be just wanting to move on from him. Yeah, I think some of the best comments I've heard on this is I, I forget where I heard it at. It might have been Dave DeForest podcast, uh, Nerder, Nerder, she wrote, I believe, with The Athletic. And Caitlin Cooper was on that. And they were kind of talking about this whole situation. And one of the points that was brought up is, you know, you, you talk to the people that Bjorkren's worked for, but not the people that have worked for Bjorkren. And I think that's a really great point, because if you think about it, there's players across the league, like the whole T.J. Warren part of, you know, him not liking Bjorkren. Like, I don't know what part of that's true or not true. The only thing I do know for a fact that it's true is that he did not demand a trade. So that part of the report wasn't, you know, confirmed that that was not true based on uh, T.J. Warren coming out against it and what I was told from a source and, and then Jay Michaels sourcing on that as well because the Pacers want to build around T.J. Warren long term. They want him here for the long term and he feels mutual about that. But 
what I will say that goes all back into what we were, what I was just bringing up though. They did not reach out to the people that, you know, worked for him in a sense, like coaching staffs in the G league players that played for him, like a TJ Warren, they didn't ask about that relationship. Really what they asked was, Hey, Nick nurse, you know, how is he working for you? And Nick nurse like, Oh, we're best friends, you know, so nothing bad to say there. I, I think a lot of it, you know, people look at it and they had two entire months before they hired a coach and when they fired Nate McMillan, they went with a guy they were comfortable with, regardless of what people want to say. Kevin Pritchard was close with Nick Nurse and Chad Buchanan has been a friend of uh, Nate Bjorkman's for, I believe they said close to like 15 to 20 years. So when you have that relationship already established, they probably already kind of had him in their back pocket and just did the due diligence of researching other people. But in that same time, they probably should have been like, trying to build that assistant coaching staff while they were assembling their head coaching uh, search and, and figuring things out. But I guess they didn't. And a lot of the, the guys on the uh, assistant staff have prior connections with Buchanan and or Kevin Pritchard. So it, it's, it's tough because KP did come out and say that we were going to, they were going to help Nate Bjorken assemble the coaching staff. And little did they know that it just basically came down to the fact that Bjorken just, apparently did not have a good relationship with their guy. So he's a young guy. Like he said, he's learning, and that's what he came out and told the media. But at the end of the day, the Pacers don't have time to be waiting for him to figure it out because what happens if they bring him back for another 82-game season? It's just going to be a hot mess. So whatever happens these last couple of weeks, I would say don't invest too much stock into it. Even though you might get a little bit nervous, I think that this bridge has already been burned, and everybody has just agreed to, like, let's get through this year, let's be professional, and let's move on. Yeah, and it's, you know, when you look across professional sports in general, when you hire a young coach that has no experience, you usually have a veteran next to him on the bench. And Bjorkman's kind of just been allowed to run amok, and nobody's on that bench to kind of keep him in check. These are all really unknown guys. I mean, you know, Greg Foster, who had that issue with Batadze, has been an assistant for a while, but, I mean, he doesn't have any pull in this franchise. And, you know, Baino won it out, and uh, Burke wouldn't retain, wouldn't be retained. So it, it just kind of seems odd to me that Pritchard and Buchanan just allowed him to go into the season without any sort of veteran coaching presence on the bench to kind of, you know, check him and balance him and be able to overstep a little bit. If, if he gets wild or, you know, like they said, he snapped whenever anything would go wrong. It's just kind of odd to me that they, that they did that. And, and I agree with you. I mean, this has only been a 72 game season and you had Jay Michael reporting that people are worried about him as a person. I mean, it's just mind boggling to hear somebody say about a basketball coach. So I just don't see how he could come back next year with an 82 game season, especially when nobody in this locker room outside of TJ McConnell, but I feel like it's kind of obligated to say it because he's a coach's son. Nobody's come out and defended this guy. Everybody that they've talked to has said, we want to play for each other. We want to finish this season out strong. I mean, there's not been any sort of voicing support for Bjorker. And I, I find that concerning and it really validates, like you said, I think, I think the reporter kind of ran with this story and added some fluff crap about TJ Warren. That wasn't true, but a lot of that is true. And you see that because of the reaction in the locker room to this whole situation, guys are rallying around each other, but they're not rallying around Bjorker. And so I think, especially if your stars are unhappy and it's not working, it's just, you got to cut your ties and find someone else. And I'm sure with, like you said, they interview guys for two months. I'm sure they have a, a list of names that they like already. Okay. Well, since you're on the pod, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do is there a name or two that you like out there for the Pacers to replace Bjorken with? 
Um, I don't, you know, I don't really have anybody that I was necessarily super crazy about. Um, you know, Dan Craig was a guy that I found as an interesting name, um, just based off the fact he plays in Miami. They have some similar guys to what the Pacers do. And, you know, obviously being under, uh, being under that, that tutelage there with Riley and Spolstra. But I think that the Pacers are probably going to go with a, a, an established coach, this time, I highly doubt they're going to go with an unproven assistant again. So, I mean, Mike D'Antoni seems to be the guy that people are looking at. He's played in multiple different styles with uh, with Phoenix. And then in Houston, he's a, he's a player's coach. I think he's more malleable than people give him credit for in terms of how he's he, he plays his offense. I think he can uh, be a little be a little more amoebic in his way to revolve the offense around the players as opposed to just playing 120 miles an hour because that's what James Harden liked to do. So if they went with him, I mean, he's a guy that's had success pretty much everywhere he went. So I don't think it'd be something I'd be upset with. Uh, Jacques Vaughn is a guy that you had talked about uh, that I really like as well. He's an interesting name. Chauncey Billups is another guy that was uh, an interesting kind of out there choice that I think could really relate with the guards, especially Karras and Brogdon. So I, I think that they have a, a list of names and I liked their list of names last time uh, of the guys they went with. I just think they made the wrong choice, but they can go back at that list again and, and look at some of those guys. And I think they have a good collection of options moving forward. But if I was a betting man, I would, I would think that Mike D'Antoni is a good bet just because they released this information a week before the season. So they had to have have, they have to have someone in their back pocket on tap if they're going to do this. Otherwise they're going into the off season, you know, throwing caution to the wind and seeing what they're doing with Bjork which I don't think is Pritchard style. So I think they're going to go with an established head coach. Mike D'Antoni was the guy that a lot of people thought was going to be here before. So if I had to put my money on somebody, I'd say it's D'Antoni. Okay. Well, I'm curious because you went out and said, I don't think they're going to bring in an assistant that's not had experience. Then you said Chauncey Billups is a name that you have interest in. So since he doesn't really have any experience as a head coach, why would you throw him in that mix? Well, I like him. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I don't think they will do it. There are okay. assistants that there are assistants that I like that I think they should give consideration for. But considering, you know, this looks like a big, a big swing and miss on Pritchard. Um, you know, this was really his first coaching hire. So I think he just has to go with a safer hire this time. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here on the couch and say, oh, we'll go after Chauncey Billups or, you know, go after Dan Craig. But at the end of the day, Pritchard's got to win some basketball games and he's got to win some playoff series. And, you know, Mike D'Antoni's never been at the pinnacle in the finals, but he's a guy that if you bring into your organization, you're probably going to win a playoff series or two because he's an excellent coach. And, you know, he's had success pretty much everywhere he went. And I just feel like that's a safe option for Pritchard to fall back on, even though somebody like Billups or somebody in that in that thread would be a more long term upside pick. I think he has to go with someone safer right now. Well, that's what he did last time with Bjorkman was a long, up, you know, long term upside pick. That's what he thought. Exactly. And exactly. That's, that's where you get into this rough little area. Like, where do they go from here? And I think D'Antoni is still you know, a guy that can relate to players, even though he's getting a little bit older up there in age, not that old, but I mean, when you're looking at a long-term coach, I mean, you don't look at someone that's, you know, at that age that he's at. So he's a good assistant though. And I think Scott Agnes did highlight this in his article as well. You look at a first time head coach and Steve Nash, look, this is a point guard, but what did he do? He went out and got established coaches to be his assistants, Mike D'Antoni, Jacques Vaughn. I think of the Pacers, Look, I still think they're going to move on from Bjorken regardless, but if they did bring on Chauncey Billups, I think, like I said on the last podcast, if I'm repetitive, I apologize, but I believe Chauncey Billups 
has the ability to recruit a better assistant coaching staff than what Nate Bjorken did. And he's obviously been a player in the league, so he understands it a, a lot differently than Nate Bjorken from that perspective, being able to relate to guys, being able to be comfortable with players. You know, he was always a, a leader on and off the court, especially when he was in Denver and in Detroit. So I just truly believe that that's a type of guy they could go after just because I feel like he could build a strong assistant coaching staff. And there's a lot of good coaches out there. You know what I mean? So it's not just like, oh, well, you know, we didn't get this guy. We didn't get that guy. So we got to, you know, we got to, you know, scrape the barrel to get an assistant coach. Like, no, that's what the Pacers did this last time. I think that they got to be thorough with what they do. And honestly, I think that's one of the first questions they should ask whatever coach they bring in. Who do you want to bring on your staff? And it would not surprise me at all if they tried to pry Dan Burke away from Philly back to Indiana. That's just me thinking outside the box. But if there's a way they could maybe do that, I don't know if Burke would want to leave after what happened. But if they if they feel like they made a major mistake in letting him go, assistant coaches are very, very important. You obviously have seen it this year. That's why I think Dan Burke could be a name they go back out to try to bring back to Indiana. Yeah, and if they can if they can bring back guys like Burke and Bano, I mean, then that changes things a bit. I mean, and I I hope that that uh, Pritchard doesn't get hand tied with the way that this Bjorkman thing worked out, and it makes him scared to take risks because you still have to you still have to take risk for upside in the NBA, especially in a market like Indiana. So, although I think D'Antoni is the safe option for Pritchard, I would hope that if he could get a strong assistant group back, if if Bano decides he wants to come back, if they let go of Bjorkman, if you can. Pro- Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I Burke away, then that frees you up a lot because you have some trust back on that bench. You have a little more leadership back established on that bench to where if you bring in a guy, you're not afraid that he's going to just take over everything and, and blow up the chemistry and, and the locker room uh, the way that Nate Bjorkren has. So, I mean, I think, I think that's a good point. That really all depends on how they're able to compile the coaches around their head coach that will kind of dictate who they bring in this next time around. Absolutely. So before I let you out of here, um, I got to ask you, as far as roster building goes, is there anything in particular you'd like to see change about this team uh, based on not I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you tell me players that you want out of here, guys you trade, unless you feel like you want to tell me. But I'm more so curious, like what area of concern do you have for this team? Like where do we need to address our issues this offseason? Well, I mean, the thing with the Pacers has always been, you know, we've had good players, but not great players. I'm really hoping that they use this offseason to use some of the equity we have. I feel like they're in a rare situation where they have a plethora of equity to be able to trade off. I mean, it's kind of the opposite of what they had at the end of the Paul George era, where they couldn't build around Paul George because they had nothing. And now they have a bunch of good players that they can kind of combine and move and be able to at least get a good draft slot. I would really like for them. I think that's the most realistic thing because I haven't seen too many star players. 
that we could get in a package that would really be franchise changing. But if they could at least try to make a package with a team for a top, you know, four to six pick, that would be really, really cool uh, to be able to get this team back on track with a young blue chip talent. Because I think that's what they're missing. I think they have a lot of really good franchise pillars. You know, Warren, you said they want to build around Levert Sabonis. They have a lot of pillars. They just really need that guy that can at least take them to the next step and be a franchise player. And I think, you know, the only way they're going to be able to do that is through the draft. And it's a really deep draft. So I would really like for them to be able to to use some of that equity and trade that away to be able to move up in the draft. That's just something I hope. Um, I know in my heart, this is a, an offseason that drastic changes has to be made. But also, I've been a fan of this team for 20 years. I know how the Simons operate. It's probably not going to be nearly as elaborate as we want. So hopefully, they at least make an effort to be able to help their draft equity to be able to get a blue chip player to put around these young players that we have now. Because they have, they have a lot of young talent. They just need a, a guy that can take them to that next step. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. I think that's what we're missing. And I've, you know, I feel like we're underselling a little bit TJ Warren because a lot of people have said, well, this team's just not very good. I've been one of them. You know, I'm just not impressed with this team. And I think that a lot of it comes down to the double big situation. Like they ran it tonight against Philadelphia and it worked okay. But I think long-term, like it's, it's just not something that's going to happen. And then that was Domas and Goga tonight. Usually it's Turner and Sabonis. And while both guys, you know, you think they complement one another, it's just it's just hard because they're both really good at different things and they just don't seem to fit perfectly well next to one another. We've seen it for two years now. I think Turner is the one that's going to get moved in the offseason and, and trying to come up with a perfect trade for him is really difficult because of what his value is amongst the league. Like, do you think as a Pacers fan, like a guy that can block shots, who can shoot the three ball pretty well, that's a pretty good defender, like an elite rim protector, but a good defender on top of that, you think, man, that might be something that people really want. But then, like, you hear the rumblings back, like, well, his value isn't as high across the league as as it should be. And I know that part of that came from Danny Ainge, but there's still been other people, like, that have said that kind of thing. So that's where I'm stuck with what do they get back in return for him? And I think that's the hardest part there. I've thrown some different ideas on this podcast. But it's just the best thing that could happen to the Pacers is, like you said, they can move up in this lottery somehow. I don't know what teams above them would be willing to trade for any of the pieces we have. But I think there's stuff out there that makes some sense. And we'll get into that another day. But did you have any fake trades that you'd like to throw out here? I know you've uh, I know you're playing with that trade machine every once in a while. Uh, I play with it a little bit. I mean, like I said, my, my trades are pretty far out there and just kind of uh, kind of fun in my mind. But, you know, I mean, there, there's some players, like I said, that I've targeted, um, you know, that I would like to see this team try to acquire, you know, guys like if they could steal somebody like Miles Bridges or, you know, I know the Raptors probably won't deal Ananobi, but if they could get, you know, somebody like that, um, you know, just a just a really good two-way wing that can impact this this team. And like I said, just try to package people together to be able to do that. Um, it'll take a lot to pry players like that away from other teams, but we have a lot. I mean, I think they really need to sit down this offseason, pick two or three guys that they're really committed to building this team around, and everything else is on the table. And, you know, I don't know if they'll do that. I know, like I said, the Pacers have always been a really conservative team in terms of giving away talent. And, you know, Kevin Pritchard, though, has been aggressive before. So hopefully the Simons will let him be a little more free in terms of the moves he makes this offseason because he needs to do something. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's, like I said, there's players that I, that I hope they get. I'm just kind of holding back hope. 
um, and reserving hope because I know that this franchise has always been kind of on the conservative side mm-hmm. of uh, wanting to move talent. I just, like you said, I don't know what the what the market is for a lot of our guys. I mean, you know, Sabonis is great here, but how does he fit around the rest of the league? What does the rest of the league view him? The same with Miles Turner. You know, he's a great defender, but offense is king in this league. So, you know, he doesn't provide much value there in a trade. So it, it there's just a lot of guys on this roster that may be more valuable to us than they are around the league. So I think it's kind of one of those wait and see things and see what teams value them at. But I I think that some of these trades that get put through or proposed, I think are probably going to be a little disappointing. I mean, the Hayward trade, as happy as people are that that didn't go through, that was probably our best chance to get a high scoring wing on this team for one of the two bigs. And I think whichever one they move, it's probably going to be for less than fans want. And they're going to be upset either way. Yeah, that's a, that's that's really a good point. I think that's probably going to be the case as well. From what I've heard, it, it seems to me like Domas's value amongst the league is much higher than Turner's. But Turner's, you know, play style is an easier fit. However, people aren't willing to like give up the bank for Turner, where they might be a little bit more willing to trade more assets to to go out and get a guy like Domas Sabonis because look, Sabonis can really change games for you. He does a lot of the things that people don't like to talk about. So that's just what it is. And I think that Turner does a lot of the, like, flashy stuff on defense. You know, I mean, he's done a much better job this year, you know, with switches, guarding smaller players, staying in front of them, baiting them into getting by him, and then catching up with a nice recovery block. He's been fantastic at that. Offensively, we've seen some wrinkles in his game as well. And so it's like I don't want to undersell Miles, but I feel like across the league – you know, people don't value him as much as they probably should. But I but I do think that he is a top two, top three rim protector in, in the entire NBA for a reason. He's that special at it. That's his special talent, and you can't take that away from him. I think any team that gets him will be improved drastically on defense because of that. But at the same time, I do think that Sabonis, the two-time All-Star, is the guy that has more value because I think he's the better player. So – that's where I'm at on it, but I've got a, a lot of different trade ideas and different players that I'm looking at targeting. I'm going to start building my list as we get closer to the offseason and have a lot of things to discuss. But, Jake, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap this conversation up? No, man, I'm just excited to get this season over with. I think it's going to be a really interesting offseason to talk about and debate with fans. So I'm really looking ahead to it. I think it's a, a pivotal offseason for both Kevin Pritchard and the future of this franchise. We got, you know, some young talent on this team and we really got to start taking advantage of it. So I hope the Pacers do something, but I'm really interested to see in the next couple of weeks how the coaching pans out and how, you know, we, we start to attack the offseason. Yeah, it's it's and what's crazy is this offseason is going to be long once again because the draft's not till July, free agency's not till the end of July, I believe. So we're going to have ourselves a couple months here of no Pacers action, more than likely, and just approaching the draft. We're going to have a lot of conversation, but in between that, you could have coaching hires, assistant coaching staffs being built, and all that. So it could be a very busy offseason for the Pacers once again, something that they're not normally known for doing, but. At the end of the day, you know, you got to get things back in order and, you know, making a drastic change like they did going from Nate McMillan and Nate Bjorkren, they've seen the benefit, they've seen the uh, repercussions of that and look at where Atlanta's at, look at where Indiana's at, total different rosters, total different situation, I get it, but, you know, just having a veteran presence as a coach when you don't really have a veteran presence on your locker uh, or on your roster, it, it says a lot, but 
Anyway, Jake, I appreciate you so much for hopping on late here to talk with me about this game and about the future of the Pacers. And I kind of want to get your thoughts. Where can the people find you at on social media if they're not already following you? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter at Jake Elrod44. I don't have Instagram because I'm old, but uh, <laughs> I do have Twitter. So if you want to follow me on there, go ahead. I enjoy talking about the Pacers, and uh, we we have a giveaway going on right now for a cool yeah. Domas bonus picture. So you know, while he's having this historic stretch, take an opportunity to go up and grab that autograph. So cool giveaway, and glad to give back to the fans a little bit. Absolutely, yeah, and no, I appreciate you helping me out and doing that with me. So. Uh, make sure you guys go check that tweet out. It's on my page and Jake's page. Just got to follow us, retweet the tweet, and tell us why you like Spoon. That's pretty easy to, uh, pretty easy entryway to win. So hope you guys enjoyed today's pod. Follow us on social media at setting the pace three over at Pacers Talk on Instagram. My co-host Mike Fachi is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and we will talk to you all Thursday after Pacers Bucks. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com